Looks like uh, we're coming in a bit lower now. Oh boy, retail sales month over month higher than expected. They were looking for 1.8. It came in at 3.0%. Now I'm also noticing some disappointing numbers from the uh, New York Fed. Negative number, not as bad as expected, but still negative. And looking at the indices here again, yeah, you can see we're coming off a bit here. I'm looking at the number again, the headline number, retail sales coming in a bit higher than expected. They were looking for 1.7, 1.8. It came in again at 3% for the month over month numbers. Looking back at January levels here, we'll look at the uh, minus the uh, auto and gas numbers. But there you can see the indices while coming off. I still want to point out relatively contained, right? We've seen limited follow through one way or the other. Let's bring in Bob Iacchino, the founder of the Chief Strategist of Path Trading Partners, joining us this morning to take a look. Bob, it looks like in line with the trend we've been seeing, uh, these numbers are coming in higher than expected and really kind of stoking those fears that the Fed may have to get a little bit more aggressive in terms of their initiatives to drive inflation back down to 2%. I'm looking at the retail sales number, the core coming in at 2.7, it looks like. I'm sorry, 2.3, but either way, first of all, what's four tenths amongst friends? And that's well above expectations. Last month's wow. negative, and it looks like the headline number coming in at 3.7, 3.0, both, again, uh, topping expectations. Yeah, good morning, Ben. When you combine last month's jobs number, we, granted, there's likely to be revisions and there's seasonal factors. We've all heard the excuses as to why that was so strong. You combine that with the CPI numbers that we got, which were not only stronger than the prior month, but last month's negative, the first month of deflation we've had since the pandemic uh, in 2020. That's the first negative we had was revised to a positive. And then you add in this retail sales number and you add in the Fed speak and it's possible. I don't know that it's likely because the market is stubborn, but it's possible the market is starting to understand that you can't fight the Fed is still yeah. in play. When you looked at what happened yesterday with the CME Fed watch tool, we went from two, 20, two more 25 basis point hikes being the highest probability to three more being the highest probability. I think the market is all settled in that the Fed is going to go back to their typically wildly hawkish position of 25 basis points each meeting and start taking that further and maybe start taking these great cuts out of the market. When you combine what we're seeing with the strength of the economy, at least in the data we've seen recently, and absolutely no movement in jobs, which is the thing that all the Fed speakers and the Fed chair himself, Jay Powell, said they need to see. We're not seeing it. Where do people get these rate cuts? This is something you and I have been talking about for months now. Treasury futures coming off. We've got yields, which are uh, working their way to the upside here. I mean, Bob, all this feeds into what Fed Chair Jerome Powell is telling us, right? He told us financial conditions have eased uh, prematurely. He pushed back on it. And it seems like markets, uh, to your point, are just kind of coming to grips with that. And, uh, well, what we've heard from the individual Fed speakers as well, which have been beating the drum also. Yeah, you know, we do live streams almost every day on Path Trading Partners YouTube channel. And one of the, the members asked me yesterday, he said, how do you see the recession risk at this point? And it's interesting, you mentioned yields. The two-year yield, and I'm not counting today, all right, the two-year yield since uh, February 2nd, when it settled unchanged, there was no change in the yield. It's up 55 basis points. Yeah. So it's like it's 56 or 57 right now. That is a massive short-term move in 14 sessions, 13 sessions. That's massive. 
that's not small by well, any stretch. And it's of the going higher this morning. I mean, it's still continuing. And it's going right. higher this morning. And now you see the look at the ten-year. Okay, the ten-year is was three seventy-five last I looked. I don't know where it is right as we speak. Checking. So Hold on. Keep going. Off. Yeah, my screen's off to the left, and I don't want to break eye contact with you. But from that perspective, three seventy-five this morning. You remember we were, in November we had a four eleven ten-year. So essentially, the curve is continuing to. Uh, get worse on the inversion, whether you're looking at the twos, tens, or any other short-term versus long-term. And then you take that and you say, okay, we've got about a 90% probability that a recession happens at some point after an inversion. That's the record of the twos, tens spreads, 90% probable or 90% correct, I should say, if you use it as an indicator of recession. So when you look at it from that perspective, the long end is saying that the economy is going to contain inflation. And it's not saying it's going to contain it that great yeah. because 375 is not really where the 10 year should be if we're going to be back to 1.5, 1.8 or 2% inflation. It should probably be a little bit lower than that. So from that perspective, the market is still predicting a recession, although it's pushed it out. It's also predicting a more aggressive Fed in the short term and the data is saying the exact same thing. Bob, I love that you're talking this because this was my chart of the day today. We actually looked at these uh, products that you just broke down, and uh, I pointed out how the 30-year didn't take out the decent lows. The 10-year did. I pointed out this big move up we've seen in the two-year and how we're now back to this 4546 level. If we open up the door with energy and follow through here, we retest the upper extreme up around 4.8 in a heartbeat possibly uh, after the uh, lower extreme test failed down around 4% here, and we kind of double bottom. One could argue almost triple bottom down there, but let's shift gears here. Let's talk a little bit about crude this week. We heard from OPEC, the IEA, both kind of leaning on China and the reopening trade there. Yeah, the reopening trade has been the story and it continues to be the story. And it, it's starting to, I'm starting to feel like it's a little too used up in terms yeah. of the rhetoric. When you look at what's going on, the first thing you have to look in crude oil is this new SPR release. And again, this was a scheduled release, 26 million barrels coming out. Uh, President Biden asked Congress to wipe that out. They did not do it. And I suspect they wouldn't do it. They instead wiped out sales in 2025 and 2027. And regardless of what party you like to follow, if any, I don't like to follow any. I think they both suck, quite frankly. But this is political of Congress to do because we're only 93 million barrels after this sale, 93.6 million barrels away from where they can no longer release by law. Hmm. It literally has to be an embargo or a war in order for them to release anymore. That level is somewhere down to 254, I believe, okay. where legally- no, 360, 370 right now, I saw. Yeah. yeah, so legally they can't release just based on price. And then you have uh, the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, I should say the UAE is echoing what Saudi Arabia said last week, that they're worried about supply shortages in 2024. Is that a warning that OPEC isn't going to be able to produce or isn't going to produce? You've got the Russia voluntary cap of 500,000 barrels a day. And granted, we've got a Permian record coming, okay? I shouldn't say Permian, a shale record, although most of it's coming from the Permian. Shale Basin is going to produce a record at, as of the month of March. If it continues on this trajectory, they're gonna add a 75,000 barrels. That'll put them at 9.36 billion for just the shale basin, but that's going to go away. So when you look at it medium to long-term, you have to think that the upside is where crude oil is going to be. And if that's the case, you can't relieve it with the SPR unless they start filling it at a higher price than they said they were going to. We briefly reached that $70 level. Oh, and by the way, 
Sorry, Ben, I'm rambling. But Brent is what they have to fill it with. They can't fill it with WTI crude. It's too light and sweet. It has to be heavier crude in order to go to the U.S. refineries, which are outfitted for heavier crude. So they were really looking for Brent to get closer to $70 a barrel. That would put WTI closer to 64 or 65 That hasn't happened. So you're going to... I shouldn't say you're going to. It's likely that you have another buyer coming in in the very near future. It's going to be the U.S. government refilling the SPR. They have to do this. Bob, talk to us quickly about metals. Uh, it seems the gold uh, trade's been tied very close to the dollar and rates, it seems. Uh, um, but copper may be more a reflection of what you were talking about in terms of that China reopening trade a bit overdone. It, it tried to get something going up to 440, but it's come back off recently, parked on the 50-day moving average. Yeah, copper seems to be fighting the downtrend, the short-term downtrend that developed sort of at the end of January, beginning of February, pushed us down over 7.5%. And now copper is kind of going sideways if you take today out of it. It's still within that little sideways range. One of the spikes uh, from copper was obviously the China reopening, or I should say one of the pauses in the downtrend. But then also, you've got Peru, who's the second largest a producer of copper that has a lot of political unrest going on. Some of the protesters actually blocked mining mining roads and, and cut off mining operations by blocking and attacking actual mines. So we've also got potential supply disruption, although the China reopening has not developed as strong as copper bulls would like to see, and the disruption of supply hasn't actually happened in any real way yet. So you're kind of getting that taken out of the market, and I think we're going to continue to see this sideways move. If you're talking about CME copper, somewhere between 385 and 4 bucks, and that's where we're going to sit until one of those two things actually take hold. The rumors of the China reopening have been uh, wildly exaggerated, although they are reopening. The demand hasn't quite been there as much as the market thought. And again, supply disruption hasn't happened. I suspect they're going to happen. I suspect both things are going to happen, but no position in copper right now. It's just a sideways trade. Yeah, and price reflection of. Speaking of sideways, we could just pull this chart again here, smack dab in the middle for the most part of that range. To Bob's point, the sell-off we saw from the highs back in uh, February, March of last year from five down to three, and here we are hanging out right at four. There's the 50-day moving average. You can see it. And Bob, appreciate you joining us here. A solid breakdown, taking a look at the numbers here uh, and uh, talking a little bit about commodities as well. Bob Iacino, the founder, chief strategist of Path Trading Partners.